You're listening to the Inside Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Olson, digital producer for Nature. In this episode, Nature executive producer Fred Kaufman speaks with BBC cameraman and presenter Gordon Buchanan. Gordon hosts the upcoming Nature miniseries, Animals with Cameras, which premieres on PBS three consecutive Wednesdays, starting on January 31st. If the name doesn't give it away, Animals with Cameras employs state-of-the-art cameras worn by animals themselves. These animal cinematographers have an important mission, to help expand human understanding of their habitats and solve mysteries that have, until now, eluded scientists. Without further ado, here are Fred and Gordon. Gordon, I, I think we finally have come to the point where we might have all felt it was inevitable. Mm. Why don't we just make wildlife documentaries and give the cameras to the animals? <laughs> and this way, you know, um, we will get better material and it'll be more interesting. And in a way, that's what you've done. Mm-hmm. Well, I think everyone is filming more these days. It's, uh, we live in this is a visual revolution. You see kids that are photographing themselves, photographing each other. Recording images is something that every one of us do more than than ever. And I suppose it's, it's, it's an obvious, as a wildlife filmmaker, having spent m- much of my career being frustrated and disappointed because the animal you're interested in has disappeared down a hole, climbed a tree, ducked be- underneath the water. So it's like, well, only if I could go with you, and because technology is such that now the, the, the cameras are small enough, we can, we can hand that over to the over to the animals. I just worry that I'm putting myself out of, out of a job. It might have been the dumbest move ever is to kind of say, actually, you don't need me anymore as a wildlife cameraman. The, the animals can do it much well, better. Well, I think you're right. At some point, not too far in the future, we will be obsolete and uh, the animals will take over. But easily said um, that we just give the animals cameras, but clearly so many issues and logistics, uh, even ethical questions that need to Mm -hmm. be sorted through. Which animals, how would you select them? The manufacturing of the camera and the harness and to make sure that you're not interfering with the behavior. I mean, so many questions that need to be addressed. How did you go through all of those? Um, I think if you start with a kind of basic question that you want, answered. So the first port of call was really to speak to scientists as sort of, you know, is is this even possible with the with the animal that you're studying? So, you know, the research um you know, kicked in straight away to just find out what stories were out there, what was what we even wanted to do. Because it's a simple premise that let's put small cameras on animals. But it's it everyone was surprised by how difficult it was to sort of, you know, to, to make sure it was, it was, going to, it was going to work. And so I suppose the scientists sort of, um, you know, some of them just sort of said, no, that's not going to work. Um, I can't see that we're going to be able to have a camera system that's, that's going to be able to tell us anything. But there were a good number of scientists who were really excited by the prospect of, of us, us working together. So in the series, um, the, the all-star cast of animals that we're seeing with cameras, and it includes meerkats, cheetah, bear, devil rays, fur seals, um, dogs, um, really an iconic class of, of animals people love to watch. They are, they're all associated with um, scientists and research groups. Mm-hmm. So they're habituated animals. They're, they're used to being around people for the most part. Wasn't 
so challenging to actually approach them yeah. and put the camera on them. Tell me about that process, which is how do you go about researching, because none of this has really been done before, how to put a camera with an animal, mm -hmm. how to secure it? Yeah, well, the, the, the sort of starting point really is what, what size or what weight of camera are we talking about? So obviously a, a brown bear, uh, you know, a creature that stacks on, you know, kilos and kilos of, of weight every year to, in preparation for winter, that's not, not really a consideration. Um, but for a meerkat, it's like, well, what, 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 can, what weight can they carry that's not going to interfere with their natural behaviour? And the answer to that is that a, a six-month-old meerkat can cope with 38 grams um, without any, any problems. So we, that was it. Okay, where is the camera that weighs 38 grams, it didn't exist. So it's like, well, how can we shrink everything down um, to sort of that, to that level? And, and um, you know, Chris Watts, who was this sort of camera engineer, was just a real, you know, camera wizard is one of those things that gets reeled out. But he was, he was such a talent, like not just in sort of designing these things and so the engineering side of it, but the, the actual kind of the reprogramming things to sort of program this, these, these cameras to do exactly what we wanted them to do um, when we wanted them, uh, when, when we wanted them to, to function. Um, but then you look at sort of the animal, you think, well, where's the best place? What's going to give us the, the best view? Where is the ringside seat on this? this animal, um, and for a creature like a baboon, you think, well, okay, the camera doesn't have to be m minuscule, but there's not, the, they're a very intelligent creature, where is the best place for, for the camera to, to go uh, on, on them? And it's sort of every, each different species, there was a different, a different problem, sort of, and it was just solving where, where, should, we, where should we mount it? And, Generally, what was the reaction by the animals when you put this foreign object on them? In most cases, look, there was no detection. I think the most exciting thing was to sort of when you actually get the camera on, um, let's say the devil rays. It was a simple kind of loop system that you, if you get close enough to the devil ray and you loop, you loop um, a kind of rubberized leash over the front of it, and to see the you know, have no adverse reaction from the devil ray. You think, well, we are filming right now, and that devil ray disappears down to this of into this of the murk of the ocean. You think, well, we're still we're still filming. We haven't got a clue what it's doing, what it's seeing, but the cameras can. Um, with the meerkats, you know, that was the, the because they're so accustomed to people and so used to the scientists that that work with them. Once we got the camera on them they were oblivious, really oblivious to them, which was a real surprise, sort of, because I thought there might be some kind of, hang on, what's, what's going on here? But I suppose it's a bit like you know, slipping a wristwatch onto someone. It's like, you, you know there's something there, but it doesn't really kind of interfere with your, um, your, <laughs> your, your life in any way. In terms of the, the length of time the animals had the cameras on them, uh, I'm sure it varied from species to species, but what was the general approach? And uh, would you put it on in the morning, take it off at night? Was it on for a couple of days? How did you go about figuring that out? Well, we were interested with the meerkats. We were interested, less interested in what they, what they did above ground, because you can see that very plainly. You can walk with a family of meerkats from dawn till dusk and, and, and capture everything, uh, you know, in a traditional way. What we're really interested in is sort of what happens when they go below ground. So we, we, we had different cameras sort of that would 
be on a time delay, so we knew, okay, sunset's at seven o'clock tonight, so these cameras don't start working till the meerkats go to, go to bed. Um, the devil rays, we thought an eight hour cycle would be, you know, would be best. That's the other, they're hopefully going to do something interesting within that eight hour period. So on they go. Um, the, the first seals, that was quite a tricky one because to retrieve the cameras, they had to come back, back on land. The first seals were swimming. This population were swimming from this little island that we we're on off the south coast of Australia. They were swimming all the way to Tasmania. So this, <laughs> we thought, well, okay, that's great. They might do lots of interesting things, see lots of interesting things on this journey, but they have to come back to where we are. Um, and again, those cameras were only, they were programmed to work when they were submerged. So it's not just a case of battery life and, and, and memory f for the camera. It's about, well, we're only interested in when animals likely to do interesting stuff. So the camera is designed with that in mind. So when the first seal goes a meter below the surface, the camera starts to, starts to work. Um, you know, for you, uh, it must be a thrill, or for me watching, watching you, the fact that you were involved in placing some of the cameras on the animals, um, like the meerkat and the chimp, and as a wildlife cameraman, your job is essentially observational. Mm -hmm. Don't get in the way, don't be noticed, capture behavior. But it must be exciting to get close to these really iconic animals and touch them and mm. kind of connect with them and place these these harnesses on them and watch their reactions. I mean, it's completely different yeah. than what you're used to. Yeah, and it is, I suppose, I, I'm with... Well, as a wildlife filmmaker, I never, you know, I never was one to say I want to swim with dolphins and I want to touch dolphins or I want to kind of like interfere with their natural behaviour. But what I've realised is sort of, you know, the, the, the boundaries, um, you know, the comfort levels of different animals, it varies from not from species to species, but from individual to, to individual. And I think as a as a a filmmaker, why wouldn't you, if you can be one metre from an animal, why, why would you choose not to? Um, in the case of wolves that I've worked with in the past, some families of wolves, 10 kilometres of their comfort distance between, between you and, and, and them. And up in the Arctic, there are wolves that are happy with like a metre. Um, so it's about actually getting there and being able to actually, because the closer you are, the more you can see, and you cannot get any closer than the camera mounted on the, on the, on the, um, the animal itself. You know, there are so many payoffs in the series animals with cameras, subtle behavioral movements or insights or going into the meerkat den and you see these newborn meerkats that you wouldn't see otherwise. For you, what was the most rewarding payoff? I think um, with each species, every payoff we got was, was rewarding because it was a real surprise. What I was worried about, and of course, you know, the, the, what we don't show is that even the most exciting animals, big part of their day is really boring. You know, chimpanzees, if a chimpanzee sleeping or a fur seal hauled out on a rock isn't that interesting. Um, but I think in each case, I think it's, as you said, it's a the kind of subtle behaviours, the little things that you, you might miss. So for example, you know, just a chimpanzee walking through the forest, the way that its head moves and it's sort of, you, because you're, there with it, you can almost see it thinking. It's, you can see its head, turn of its head, every decision it makes, it's taking you 
with it and that's you know and it there's one occasion the first the first shot that we got i thought this is amazing it's just a chimpanzee walking through the forest and it finds a piece of fruit and it picks it up has a sniff and okay no i'm not interested in that and and it happens so fast um that you think we could we could miss that there's no way that you could actually get that detail in that habitat in any other way you know and for me it's really special because that same action of picking up a fruit and putting it down and not wanting it if you were let's say 10 yards away filming that, it doesn't feel the same as when it's being picked mm -hmm. up by a camera on the chimpanzee. It's, it's, it's a much more personal and intimate look. And one of the stories I really liked was the brown bear in Turkey. Mm -hmm. And the brown, you know, again, you're having the point of view of the bear. And so it's very intimate. Uh, it's very personal. He gets into a fight with another bear, um, loses a claw, he's bleeding. Um, he continues to go on, and in some cases, he's avoiding a bear, or there's another bear being picked up on the camera. And again, wouldn't be the same if you were mm -hmm. there shooting mm -hmm. it, but somehow without you there, just watching its behavior, it really feels revelatory, yeah. you know, like, you know, just the subtleties of things, the personalities come out from that. Yeah, and it's, the, uh, it's not, of, I suppose, you've got, the, the, the cheetah footage is is really kind of breathtaking and that's really dynamic and it's exciting but you know all life for every living thing is a journey and when that animal takes you on its journey that moment in its life it takes you with with it it is really intimate you can see it's it's thought process and you only I think you only you can only see that from its perspective it's sort of when it's moving along you're traveling with it and and you know I suppose you're kind of opening up the sense of identity and character in these animals. So it's like, this is what this brown bear is doing. And I think when you film in traditional ways, when you're distant or remote, you're looking at that animal and you're not as involved in its, its life or its story, whereas with, you're with it. And it's, I suppose, the fact that it's taking you on its journey. That is really it's, Yeah, it's I think special. that's really uh, insightful. Um, I think if you were there filming, it would be looking at brown bear behavior. Mm -hmm. And yet with the camera on the bear, it's this particular animal and its own personality and its own journey. And I think that's the distinction between what this series does and, and, and what a sort of traditional uh, observational documentary does. Was there any feeling about um, the ethics of your, you're putting these cameras on these basically non-consenting animals mm -hmm. and... Um, you know, we, we're all challenged with the ethical questions of what's allowable, what we shouldn't do, when do we cross a line? Yeah, and I, I had a head start on that particular question because in the past, over the years, I've worked with a lot of scientists and a lot of animals that have been well, initially radio collared, so you can you can track them, or the scientists can sort of track their movements. Um, in recent years, GPS collars. Scientists have been challenged on that, and any filmmaker that films an animal with a, a collar does get challenged on that. And it's a good it, you know, it's good to bring up these questions because it gives you an opportunity to explain the need for um, those kind of um, those devices and the need to, to sort of to find out as much as possible about about these animals. And the simple fact is that the the wild world is not as wild as it once was. There is not a living thing on this planet that is not affected by the presence of human beings. 
and there's lots of problems that nature and, and, and wildlife face sort of here and now and we're going to have to we're having to look ahead to sort of try and anticipate the problems that they are going to encounter and those problems are going to go up so whether it's a animal-human conflict that you have, we have with the baboons, but in sort of species that we didn't film, elephants, for elephants to have a future, we have to try and limit uh, elephant sort of human um, problems. And using technology in this way to sort of find out in, in as much detail as possible about all living things really is for the benefit of all living things. Well, let's end on that, Gordon, because that's a great statement, and congratulations. It's a real eye-opening series of, of animal behavior in a way where we weren't spending millions of dollars observing them, but just, just tweaking how we approach what they do and how we shoot them um, really does inform us and, and challenge what we've known before and, and what these animals are all about. So it was a job really well done. Yeah, thank you very much. Big thanks to the animals and the scientists and the people that created all the kit as well. That was Gordon Buchanan speaking to Nature Executive Producer Fred Kaufman. Don't forget, you can see Gordon in Animals with Cameras starting Wednesday, January 31st on PBS. It will also be streaming the next day on the Nature website. We'll provide links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the Inside Nature podcast on iTunes. We put out a new episode every month that features interviews with wildlife filmmakers, book authors, and newsmakers in the world of conservation and science. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, I'm Eric Olson.